Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Living My Catholic Faith. This is Deacon Wally Calabrese, and I'm glad to be with you this evening. And this evening's topic is going to be pro-life. There seems to be so much confusion out there on what is pro-life, what isn't pro-life. And I hate to say it, but even, even some Catholics get it wrong. But before we begin, we shall begin like we always do with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask for your wisdom and your grace. We ask for a better understanding and a fuller understanding of what it means to embrace life, to understand your creation is good, and that we should defend life from the moment of conception until natural death. We ask that you fill us with your spirit so that we may be filled with wisdom, courage, and understanding. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So like I mentioned, it's interesting. I hear this all the time. And even from Catholics, you know, my body, my choice. Don't don't mess with my, keep, uh, what was it? Keep your rosaries off my ovaries. You only care about babies. You don't care about anything else. Um, and the list continues, and there's so many fallacies out there. That's un- 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 unbelievable how many fallacies are out there. But why is this important for Catholic families? It's important for Catholic families because of the fact that society is going to continue to push this concept called reproductive rights in a woman's choice. A woman's choice and reproductive rights. We're going to go with that one first, and then we'll transition into you only care about babies. You don't care about anybody else. So let's think about this argument that we hear over and over and over again. That, you know, this this concept of reproductive rights, okay? What does this actually mean, reproductive rights? It means you're trying to reproduce. You're trying to duplicate. You're trying to replicate. You're trying to continue a species. Okay? So if you're going to have an abortion, right, that means you're going to stop, to end, to inhibit. So how does anyone logically place together the word abortion with reproductive rights. You can't. And I'm sure there'll be some philosophical person that wants to get into a triad with me over the fact that, yes, you can have that. No, no, you can't. Abortion is exactly that. You're going to abort. You're going to stop. That has absolutely nothing to do with reproducing. Reproducing means to continue. And it's not just your choice, it's also the baby's choice. The baby it has its own DNA, it has its own identity. It has no other option of how to come into this world except for the way it was designed between a man and a woman, and the woman to be honored and to have that privilege to carry life within her. Interesting. To carry life within her not the male but the female it's interesting how that works but yet 
So many people, so many people, even Catholics, Christians, believe far too often that abortion is a reproductive right. And it's not. And we want to somehow change and distort this concept of what it means to reproduce. And he can't do it. You know, you can't change something just to make it seem like it's, it's better fitting for you. It doesn't work that way. So I'm, I'm trying to be as clear as I can. We believe as Christians, we believe as Catholics. So there's no confusion and no disagreement. Human life begins, begins at conception. Now, I could jump right into scripture and, and use scripture, but for a lot of folks that really wouldn't make a whole lot of sense and it really wouldn't help them because of the fact, A, they don't read it, and B, they don't understand it. So I'm going to try to use science. I'm not a scientist. I claimed that from the beginning. But people say they want to use the science, trust the science. So okay. So let's trust the science. Did you know that every embryological and fetiology textbook in use today states that human life begins at the instant of fusion between sperm and egg? This is science. Every embryology and fetiology textbook in use today states that human life begins at the instant of fusion between sperm and egg. It's crazy. So the essentials of embryology says the zygote formed by the union of the sperm and the egg is the beginning of a new human being. Huh. The zygote formed by the union of the sperm and the egg is the beginning of a new human being. That's in the essentials of embryology. Embryology says development begins with fertilization, the process by which the male sperm and the female egg unite to give rise to a zygote. Pretty interesting. Now, this is all common knowledge and understood all the way through the mid-60s. All the way through the mid-60s. It was literally not until the mid-60s that scientists universally acknowledged that human conception happened at the moment of fertilization. Let me say that again. It was literally until the mid-60s that scientists universally acknowledged that human conception happened at the moment of fertilization of the sperm and the egg. They also recognized that any attempt to interfere with human development constituted abortion. But we had to come up with this new term in the mid-60s. We had to come up with a new definition of conception because of the fact science was bringing us the IUD. Science was bringing us the birth control pill. 
science distorted the definition and change for what? For a new way of preventing inhibiting conception. So if you're going to introduce this IUD and you're going to introduce this birth control pill, it's no wonder that they wanted to change this concept of conception. So in 1965, it was redefined as implantation, which usually takes place seven to ten days after fertilization. So you have this concept all the way up until IUD and birth control is starting to be pushed by pharmaceuticals. That this is when life begins, at the moment of conception. Now, if I want to sell this birth control, and I don't want to go to jail for abortion, I don't want to go to jail for murdering a child, I need to change this concept, this definition of when conception actually happens. So let's make it seven to ten days later. So that way, the pill can work, destroy, inhibit the fact that the uh, zygote is going to try to implant into the fallopian tube, inhibit that, so therefore, no harm, no foul. Now think about that. Why are we doing that? Why are we changing something that we know that is true? We know and we believe that life begins at conception. Science knew and believed and taught, and in some cases still does teach, life begins at conception. But now we are in the 21st century, mass confusion, and we're saying life doesn't start when I say we, society. Society is saying life doesn't start at conception. Some places want to be able to have abortions when the head crowns. Now think about that. That is a fully developed baby. And some people are so, so evil. There's no other way of saying it than to kill a child as it's crowning. Unbelievable. But yet, that's a society that we're living in. And how does this affect the family? Well, if you're saying you're Catholic and you're saying you're pro-life, Odds are you're going to be invited into some type of dialogue. Hopefully, it's an intellectual, or I'm sorry, I said that totally wrong. It's it's an academic uh, conversation. It's a, it's a peaceful dialogue between you and, and someone who may have an opposing view, which is completely fine. Have the dialogue. Have the conversation. The problem becomes when we have people running around yelling, this is my body, this is my choice. No, your choice was if you weren't ready to become a parent not to have sex. And that's going to be a whole different topic altogether. That was the choice. Well, what about if you were raped? And again, we can go down the the statistics of it all. There's not a valid argument there. A lot of women who are raped are not impregnated. Some are. But how is that the child's fault? How is it the woman's fault? It's not the woman's fault. But she has to carry it for nine months. Yes. Yes, she does. As painful as that may be, it is. But there are options for her. There's counseling and other uh, 
advantages that she could take. And there's also this thing called adoption. She could have their baby adopted. So there's other ways of, of looking at it outside of, I'm just going to kill this child. Now, there is in the Bible, if you want to read it, several scripture verses which talks about human life, the creation of human life. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And Genesis 2, verse 7. Psalm 139, verses 13, 15, 16. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5. By all means, take time and go read those eight scripture verses to assist you and your family with understanding how God is the author of all life, especially human life. And our catechism, again, a great resource, our catechism teaches us clearly that human life must be respected and protected. Absolute, absolutely, from the moment of conception. So that's in Catechism, paragraph 2270. Let me say that again. In paragraph 2270, our Catechism teaches us that human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. Now, it's interesting. Are we willing to do that? Can we do that? Now, not to say that I'm a lawyer, because I'm not. In canon law, there are penalties. In fact, canon 1397 says a person who commits a homicide or who kidnaps, detains, mutilates, or gravely wounds a person by force or fraud is to be punished you hear that? Is to be punished. Now, in 1336, it says according to the gravity, homicide against the person mentioned in Canon 1370, however, is to be punished by the penalties established there. So you gotta, why I brought that one in there is because we're talking about killing a person, right? So we're talking about abortion is killing a person. So Canon 1397 talks about the punishment, but 1336 deals with the homicide, meaning killing another person. And they are to follow the penalties established in 1370. And in 1398, a person who procures a completed abortion incurs excommunication. Okay. And you might think, well, that's not a big deal. I don't care who, what the hell's a big deal. I don't go to church anyways. We're talking about your soul. We're talking about all eternity. We're talking about the fact that God loves you so much that there's a reason why we have these rules. We have these laws. It's because he loves you. It's because he loves the human so much that he created us in his image, his likeness but we all look different. Isn't that a great thing? Isn't that the great thing? Now, we could sit there and go round and round on this topic, and people are going to get upset, and they're not going to like it. They're going to they're wonder, you know, 
why do you guys keep harping about the baby? Keep harping about the baby. Well, it's not just about the baby. It's well, first you have to be born in order to live. But pro-life also includes those of us in our early years, our middle age, or elderly. So think about this for a second. The Catholic Church is the oldest institution in the Western world that created hospitals. Many people don't know that. Now, the Syrian Church pioneered medical care in the East, as did the Catholic Church in the West, putting into practice the words of Jesus, I was sick and you visited me. Wherever you, whatever you have done to the least of my brethren, you have done to me. And also in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity upon him. He went to him and bandaged, it, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. That, to me, sounds a lot like pro-life. That, to me, is the example that we all should be using towards one another. That, to me, is teaching us what we are called to do and how we are supposed to live our lives. Samaritans and Jews did not get along, but yet the Samaritan went out of his way to take care of a person. That's all he saw, a person. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, taking care of each other. Not getting in all these crazy arguments and and saying that this is my body, this is my choice, you have no right to tell me. On contrary, we do have a right because we have the right to protect life. That's what we're trying to do, all stages of life. Well, let's get back to this whole concept of the hospitals. You know, in the fourth century, under the ministry of St. Jerome, a wealthy Christian widow gave money to build a hospital for the poor in Rome, and she cared for the sick herself. Who was that? St. Fabiola. You can go look her up. This was in the 4th century. Now, around the same time, St. Basil distributed food to the poor of Caesarea. Then he built a poorhouse, a hospice, and a hospital. This is all in the 4th century. In 325, the Council of Nicaea directed that every city having a cathedral, every city having a cathedral, should also have a hospital, as people traveling on pilgr pilgrimages would often arrive ill. This is in 325. So there's this concept. It was clear. Take care of each other. 
help each other. So the word hosp is Latin for traveler. And what's the root word of hospital? Hospitality. Host. Hostel. Hotel. That's for travelers. And hospitals in the early years were all staffed by religious orders. In the 6th century, the Benedictine order had every monastery establish an infirmary. Interesting. That was in the 6th century. Now, moving on, he had somewhere, what was it, the 1300s? Yeah, the 1300s, the bubonic plague, or the Black Death, ravaged Europe, killing 75 million people. It's a terrible thing. Corpses were left, uh, crops were left standing in the fields as there was no one to harvest them, and there was corpses everywhere. People just dying, and they leave them in the streets. Often, no one there to bury them. But yet, out of charity, the Alexian brothers collected the bodies and gave them Christian burials. Then they also ministered to the dying who were banished from the cities. Again, you can see this concept of pro-life, the dignity of the human person. One of the oldest hospitals in Europe was founded in Paris in 660. Think about that. 660. Jumping up to around 1633, the Sisters of Charity began helping at that hospital in Paris. There's other Christian religious orders or Catholic orders, such as the Trinitarians, who collected alms, who sailed to North Africa to help ransom uh, Europeans who had been kidnapped into Muslim slavery. So we had that concept going on. In 1789, there were 6,000 Sisters of Charity running 426 hospitals in France. 426 hospitals ran by 6,000 Sisters of Charity. I wonder if they have that many today. We can move on into uh, 1793 under the new government, which was anti-Christian. The new anti-Christian government of, of France tried to disband their order, but yet they survived. And in the 19th century, they spread health care for the poor across the world, including Portugal, Hungary, England, Scotland, Ireland, North and South America, Turkey, Syria, Egypt, Persia, China, and Jerusalem. So you can see this concept, this concept of pro-life is so much more than what people want to have the conversation with. It is the conce- at the conception that's when life begins, and it should be until natural death. And having a pro-life stance and having a pro-life understanding in your family and being the example for your children, being the example for other members of your family, reaching out to the poor. Why? Because you see Christ in them. Reaching out to the sick. Why? Because you see Christ in them. Reaching out to the homebound. 
Why? Because you see Christ in them. Think of Father Damien and the leopards in Hawaii. Think of all these great saints everywhere who didn't think of themselves. They thought of others. And when you think of others, Mother Teresa, or I'm sorry, St. Teresa of Calcutta, they just empty themselves. Now granted, if you're in a, a, a family, a husband and wife, you're not going to go ahead and eliminate everything to do that. No, you wouldn't. Because you have the responsibility to take care of your children. But you also have the responsibility to teach them what pro-life means and why we understand it and why we want to defend life and how we should defend life from conception till natural death. I know that's been a lot, and I hope it's been enlightening. I hope it's been something that you are willing to take on and, and continue to defend. I'm hoping that uh, we will be able to spend a little bit more time on some of these uh, topics. And we will, and we'll cover more things and applying it towards the domestic church and how we can continue to grow our faith and our love for one another. And as always, what I'd like to ask you to do is if you want, you can by all means go to my website, www.deaconwallycalibraries.com. That's deaconwallycalibraries.com. There you can find information on my two booklets, Confirmed and Ready, and Living a Catholic and Moral Life, as well as my book, The Apostles of Me. You can also uh, find retreat topics, contact information, my email's there, as well as my phone number. If you're interested in having me come out to your parish for a retreat, by all means, talk to your pastor. If he's uh, on board and you guys want to, we can definitely try our best to make something happen. As always, I wish you the best. Please keep me in your prayers, and I will keep you in mind. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.